You're listening to The Coffee Podcast. I'm Jesse Hartman. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is a purely independent podcast with a very small team that has been running it for about eight years. We're having a hard time signing ad partners in the beginning of 2024, so we'll be exploring other ways of funding our work. But one of the best ways you can support us as a listener is by sharing the podcast with your friends and family on social media, a text message, a Slack, or even those archaic forms of communication, an email. A second great way is to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. They just had to be different. And finally, you can leave us a review telling the world why you like to listen. Thanks for considering supporting us in those ways. Let's get brewing. Whether you are buying your coffee at a local cafe, the grocery store, or online, you are presented with a decision. What coffee do you buy? Looking at the candidates, you will notice the packaging plays an important role communicating why you should buy this coffee instead of that one. The brand, the colors, the material of the bag. And then there are the words on the bag. The name of the coffee, 100% Arabica. It can get pretty fancy. This or that certification, the altitude it was grown at, the coffee varietal, the farm. These days, coffee companies are trying to distinguish themselves in all kinds of ways. One of those ways is by making sustainability claims. In the case of today's episode, an ethical claim. Today, we talk with Sally Greenberg, Chief Executive Officer of the National Consumers League. Sally joined the National Consumers League as Executive Director on October 1st, 2007. If you want to read up more on Sally's background, I highly recommend it. We'll put a link to her bio in the show notes. She's got a long track record, so I encourage you to go check it out. Today, she tells us why the NCL is bringing a suit against Starbucks. Before we dive into the conversation, I want to first make a few points. One, this is a trigger warning to state that some of the statements made about the allegations in this suit may not be appropriate for a younger audience or an audience sensitive to the topic of sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised for this reason. Two, the suit has not yet been tested in court and we are only representing the side of the NCL in this episode. We encourage you to think critically about the information you're about to hear. Starbucks released a statement to NBC News that said, quote, We take allegations like these extremely seriously and are actively engaged with farms to ensure they adhere to our standards. Each supply chain is required to undergo re-verification regularly, and we remain committed to working with our business partners to meet the expectations detailed in our global human rights statement, end quote. Three. We want to maintain the dignity of all people involved in this story. There are many humans involved across this discussion. We especially want to do this for victims, but also people caught in the crossfire of choices made outside of their control. And with that, let's talk to Sally. Sally, welcome to the Coffee Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Really excited to hear what you have to share with us and really excited to learn about the NCL and kind of get this angle on the podcast that we've never had before, this idea of protecting consumers from some things that might be said in the coffee sector. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate your inviting me to be with you. Now, what is the National Consumers League? How would you describe it 
sort of like your elevator pitch? The National Consumers League is an organization that was founded in 1899 to promote and protect the interests of workers and consumers. We have continued to pursue those two missions. And the lawsuit that we're going to be talking about is an effort to promote that mission, both on the consumer end and the worker end. Okay. And what do consumers need protection from? As a consumer myself, what are the sorts of things I need protection from? Well, that's a very big question. There are lots of ways in which consumers are vulnerable to products in the marketplace, to product safety issues. You know, Jesse, if you drive your car these days, there are so many safety elements to it. So much protection that is provided today that wasn't provided even 20, 30, 40 years ago in an automobile. So when you talk about consumer protection, it's things like airbags, crash avoidance technology, signals that work, brakes that work, all of those things are consumer protection items. Now, when you use a hair dryer today, it's got a groundbreaker that makes sure that if anything happens and the hair dryer ends up in the bathtub or the sink, you won't get electrocuted. That is a consumer protection. When you put a charge on your credit card, and if it's done fraudulently because somebody stole your credit cards and charged up bills on them, you're only responsible for at most $50 because of very hard work of consumer advocates over the years to make sure that you have protection from a fraudulent transaction. So those are some basic examples of consumer protections. And what many people don't appreciate, but when we talk about it, they go, "Uh uh-huh, they begin to shake their heads. I understand the value of having a voice in the marketplace that says consumers deserve a baseline of protections. And that is really our life's work here at the National Consumers League. But if you want to talk about worker protections, and some of them are consumer protections as well, a safe workplace, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, using products that are not going to injure you when you're in the workplace, burn you. You're wearing protective gear so that if you encounter hazards in the workplace, you can be protected from those. So those are both consumer and worker protections. Okay. And you gave some really concrete examples. The car is a very concrete example that I can easily think of. The credit card fraud is a little less concrete. Like it's still concrete, but it's a little less. I feel like what we're going to talk about today, it doesn't come off to me as concrete as those examples. We're going to talk a little bit about the claims that companies make. And I'm kind of fascinated with this idea of the line between a little marketing magic. So this idea of like white lies in the marketing world. I'm not saying I'm a fan of that, but it does happen. But there's like something a little further, something deserving a formal rebuke, right? This idea that something is, a line has been crossed. Sure. How can we kind of set the stage for this conversation? Of course, you know, when you go to law school, which I did, they talk about something called puffery or puffing. And it's saying the world's best restaurant, the world's greatest spaghetti sauce, the world's most delicious macaroni and cheese. That is not subject to specifics can't prove that it is or isn't. It's in the eyes of the beholder. There's no real metrics for measuring that. And those kinds of claims are acceptable because I think everybody understands, you know, (laughs) in what world is this the best spaghetti sauce? Yeah. Or the best macaroni Or the best cup of coffee, right? Or the best cup of coffee, right. (laughs) And you can make sort of general claims about products without running afoul of the law. But when you specifically, as in the case of the Starbucks, 
claim that you have 100% ethical sourcing, that can actually be looked at in depth and disproved. It is not just a puffery. It is way beyond puffery. It is making specific claims that you have gone the distance to provide ethical sourcing and looked at your supply chain and done everything possible to make sure that there was no forced labor, no child labor, no abusive labor practices in your sourcing of coffee on the farms and plantations that you use. So it falls into a different realm and it's more specific and it's more easily measurable and disproven with data and studies and reports. And that's what we're talking about with our Starbucks situation. Okay. I would love your help here. I want to be as careful as possible. You know, the difference between a fact and an allegation at this point, I want to be careful with my language. How should we be talking about this as we continue on? Well, there's certain claims that companies are or are not allowed to make without running afoul of the law. Let me give you an example of a lawsuit that we brought many years ago against cereal makers. They were making claims that were actually health claims and claims that their product had health or drug benefits. For example, Cheerios reducing your cholesterol level by X amount in X amount of time. I think they said 4% reduction in six weeks, something along those lines. Okay. The FDA and the FTC are in the business of looking at those kinds of claims. And the FDA in particular, the Food and Drug Administration, makes it a violation of law to make drug claims on food products. Okay. Well, reducing cholesterol is something that drugs do. But food, you can't make specific claims about food. And the more specific it is, the more easily disproven a claim could be. So we brought a case after the FDA had come down on cereal makers making unsubstantiated product claims about their food, Cheerios in this case, reducing cholesterol levels. We all know about statins. They are drugs that you take to reduce the cholesterol level. They have been through a clinical trial. Okay, they have gone through many, many rungs of approval. They're safe. They're proven to bring down cholesterol rates, which, as the listeners know, high cholesterol can cause heart disease, stroke, heart attack. Very important that we have products that have been through a proven FDA clinical trial process, and they work, and they've been used for many decades at this point. You cannot make those claims. This is what FDA alleged. You cannot make those claims about food. Food products don't lend themselves to the kind of rigorous testing that these drug products have. So they basically said to the cereal makers, you can't do that. You can't make those claims. So there's an example of a claim that is not acceptable and is not substantiated with regard to a food item. So Sally, in the case of Starbucks, what is the allegation and how does that kind of fit? You know, it's not a health claim. It's more of a premium, a premium. It's a claim about their sourcing practices for the coffee and the teas that they sell. They're quote every single product that they sell. Well, let's put it like this. If you buy Starbucks pods, I have a box. I can go get them and read them out to you directly. But most of us are familiar with Starbucks products if we drink coffee or tea. And when you look at a bag of Starbucks coffee, it says 100% ethically sourced. I'm going to get the exact quote. I'll go grab the box. 
Starbucks is committed to 100% ethical sourcing. Okay. Okay. It's the same, same thing. Mm-hmm. The problem with that Starbucks claim is that Starbucks in the growers they use, the farms they use, the plantations they use have run into a host of studies and reports by governments. Three different countries is what our complaint focused on. Brazil, Guatemala, and Kenya. And in each of those cases, there have been reports done, credible reports, many of them by their own government investigators. In the case of Brazil, government investigators came in and did studies on what was going on on these farms and plantations and found that there were some very serious abuses, uh, extreme abuses on farms and co-ops that supply coffee and tea to Starbucks. And the abuses range from Brazil to Guatemala to Kenya. Starbucks had every chance to correct its ethical sourcing practices. And Starbucks has its own cafe practices certification, Mm -hmm. which is the company's own system for ethical sourcing standards. But their cafe practice system is deeply flawed. And in each of those countries, there were reports that showed serious violations of workers' rights and protections, sexual harassment, really unclean working conditions. And I'll have to pull our complaint out. But we talk about this chapter in specifics in the complaint that we filed in the District of Columbia. And the problem with those kinds of claims is that they're telling consumers something that is not true. And that violates consumer protection laws. Every state and the District of Columbia has something called the Unfair and Deceptive Practices Act. And it prohibits companies from engaging in deceptive practices. And in this case, Starbucks claims where they are proven to be false and they are proven to have had many problems which they did not force the farms that they used to correct but continue to claim that they had 100 percent ethical sourcing knowing that that was not the case and the district of columbia where the case was filed has a very strong consumer protection statute stronger than some other places and it was under that statute that we filed the case against Starbucks. Okay. One of my questions here as well is I know that Starbucks has in their cafe verification standards I saw this quote on one of their documents it says quote when Starbucks is notified of zero tolerance violations we take immediate action conducting it an investigation which could lead to suspending the commercial relationship with a farm until the case has been clarified, end quote. That is from the Cafe Practices Starbucks approach to ethically sourcing coffee. Obviously, that's relevant. I guess a timeline, like how do we know that Starbucks isn't in the pursuit of correcting these things actively? I feel like there's a complicating time factor. Like if you're trying to resolve something, does that make sense what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. Then stop claiming that the product is ethically sourced if you know that there are studies that show that you've got serious labor problems. I take very seriously company claims that are not true. And if you are going to make a claim about a product that you know is not true at this moment, then you need to say something publicly, take those labels off of your products, or say, you know, we have discovered, which, you know, these are not new studies, Jesse, these are studies from, let me go back and look, but they're not last month. Okay. 
there four years ago, five years ago. This is not something Starbucks just found out and is like, oh my gosh, we got to figure this out. It's one farm and we're going to correct it immediately. Here's a story for um, 2020. This is something Starbucks has known about, has continued to make these claims. They just made a commercial in the last year about how great you should feel about ethical sourcing as a Starbucks consumer Hmm. and buyer because of their, you know that every cup has been ethically sourced, et cetera. Well, that flies in the face of the studies that have been done, the reports that have come out about Starbucks in all these countries that I mentioned, where they know very well that they are in violation of labor protections, and they continue to make those claims. They haven't walked back any of the claims. They haven't said, we are, you know, apologize to our consumers because we've learned recently that one of our farms is in violation. No. Okay. They know very well that a number of their farms have been in violation of the laws. And these violations are um, the labor prosecutor in Brazil cites abusive and unsafe working conditions analogous to slavery, including physical and psychological violence and confinement. Yeah. They're very serious allegations. Yeah, They're I've, very serious yeah. allegations. Yeah. It's not, you know, somebody working a few hours overtime. It's workers carrying sacks of coffee over 100 pounds on their back, working sometimes 17 hours. Child labor, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds on the farms. Illegally trafficked workers, migrant workers from the state of Bahia in northern Brazil to supply forced labor and construct a silo for one of the cooperatives. There's been sexual harassment, women who are told they can't have a job unless they agree to have sex with the managers on farms. So a constant parade of abusive practices that Starbucks has known about, the one I'm citing right now, July 2021. And we haven't seen any apologies from Starbucks, any acknowledgement or a, oh, mea culpa, we're going to correct this immediately and uh, we're going to take our claims off of our products. None of that. Okay. So that's where we are. Uh, man, these allegations are very serious. I think that's an important thing to touch on. One of the other issues I'm having with trying to put things in order in my mind is Starbucks is one of the few companies who has invested so much in its supply chain, I mean in coffee specifically, to ensure transparency, accountability, you know, traceability, these kinds of things. Am I right in being a little worried that a suit like this could discourage other companies from pursuing those kinds of things? Because on one hand, it's like if Starbucks never pursued this kind of transparency, they wouldn't know about the issues. Like, would they be held accountable still if they were, you know, were never discovered? There's like a do you get what I'm trying to unpack here? Maybe it's a bad lead and I'm going in a bad direction. <laughs> but uh, Okay. Well, it, it's interesting that you said Starbucks has put so much investment into ethical sourcing. Here's how I would reframe the issue. Starbucks knows, and our complaint cites this, that claiming to be an ethical company that pursues very diligently ethical sourcing helps sell their products. That is why they have it on every box and every bag of the Starbucks coffee that they sell. And that is why they make a commercial telling consumers, because they know that we, many consumers, deeply care about this. This polls very popularly among consumers. They want companies to abide by ethical practices. So this is not an altruistic pursuit on Starbucks' part, nor have they taken on ethical sourcing 
out of the goodness of their hearts and been committed to it. Our argument in this complaint is they say they are, but when you look beneath the surface, what you find are um, myriad violations that they have chosen to ignore and continue to lie to consumers about their ethical sourcing practices. And if companies are making claims that are unsubstantiated, exaggerated claims like we see here with Starbucks on every box and bag that they sell, if companies go down that path, it's the job of our attorneys general who protect the Unfair and Deceptive Practices Acts and bring cases based on those. It's the Hmm. job of consumer advocacy organizations like ours to uncover false and deceptive claims that companies are making. I would say that the premise that Starbucks has been working so hard and is so committed to this, turns out the company really isn't so committed to this, but it likes to tell consumers that it is. So I would discourage any company from lying to consumers. I would discourage any company from making claims, but I would encourage every company to look into how they clean up their supply chain. And by the way, there are organizations that can help you do that. And it's a process that takes time. It requires a number of layers of investigation, of working with the companies on the ground, working with officials in these places. But there are a handful of organizations who look at what's called remediation, which is cleaning up a supply chain that is found to be problematic or dangerous or engaging in abusive labor practices. There are a number of very concrete steps that companies can take. I work with some of those companies. The Fair Labor Association is one example of an organization that is set up to help companies clean up their supply chain. They charge a fee for their services, but certainly for a company of Starbucks magnitude and profit level, you know, $21 billion company, this is something that I think it Starbucks should absolutely invest in and should have invested in the moment they got notice that there were these serious kinds of labor violations that we see in all three of these countries. Hmm. Let me ask you this question. I think it'll help frame it for myself and our listeners too. So let's pretend that there's an international Sally's coffee company, okay? And your company discovers this kind of thing in your supply chain. What is the right thing to have done in the situation? Like kind of step by step. I know you just mentioned some examples, but what would your thinking look like? Let's walk through it. A company is doing all the right things and believes their supply chain is clean. And then they get a report like the Brazilian report that Brazil accounts for 40% of Starbucks Brazilian coffee supply. Okay. They have a co-op there. Their so-called cafe practices certification is a co-op in Brazil. They learn about these abuses. They honestly believe that they've got a clean supply chain that they've done everything in their power. Then the Brazilian government comes in and does a report on what's actually happening in Brazil and puts a spotlight on the farms that I'm using as Sally's Coffee Company and says, you've got the following labor abuses. The right thing to do would 
be to say we have discovered, much to our chagrin, that there are violations on the farms that we've been sourcing coffee. We're going to take a pause in making the claims that are on the packages. We are going to take a pause, and we have done everything in our power to ensure that there is ethical sourcing and a clean supply chain, no child labor, no abusive labor, no excessive hours, no taking people's passports, no trafficking migrant labor, all the things that Starbucks farms have been found to be involved in. And we are going to bring in experts who can help us on remediation of our supply chain. We're going to put in place practices that have worked for other companies. This is not new kind of uh, issue for companies that do work, you know, internationally or even in the United States. You know, we, we have child labor here. We have 400,000 young people picking crops on farms and pretty horrible conditions and violating laws here. But, you know, abroad, since in some of the countries that we're talking about, the Starbucks should be on the ground, but, you know, we don't see it because we don't live in those places. Okay. So you bring in an organization that can help you look at the practices that are in violation and make every effort over a five or 10 year period, whatever it takes to remediate the violations and ensure the supply chains are clean. That would be the steps I would recommend to a Starbucks to take. They have done none of those and have had terrible, some of these terrible reports come out. They have said nothing publicly about them. They have ignored them and they continue to claim that these, that I know of anyway, that our, our complaint doesn't reference any of the Starbucks saying mea culpa. We have learned, you know, that our farms are in violation and we're doing everything we can to remediate the situation. But that is in fact something that Starbucks has not done to our knowledge. And we, I personally, and as an organization, I don't like companies making claims that they know full well are not true. I don't, as a consumer, appreciate that. I don't like being lied to. I don't like being deceived. And most consumers don't appreciate it either. And so what we're doing here is something that is a longstanding consumer advocacy practice, which is calling companies out when they are making unsubstantiated claims to consumers to sell their products. I see. It sounds like a lot of this conversation is around remediation and the alleged failure to remediate properly to come out and say, hey, we've recognized this, like public accountability and all those things could have made a wrong right in your eyes and the eyes of the advocacy group. One thing I'm not entirely sure about here is the Starbucks Cafe coffee and farmer equity standards are overseen by a third party. What I have here in my notes is the SCS Global Services. What's the dynamic here that it's not the Global Services, SCS Global Services that's being under suit and instead Starbucks? Is it because there was an inaction on Starbucks part? That part I'm not entirely clear on. I'm not clear about whether they're totally independent of Starbucks. Let's see, just last year, the labor prosecutor an independent public enforcer of the state's labor laws in Brazil issued a complaint against the largest supplier of Starbucks in Brazil, the Cafe Practices Certified Co-op, and I can't pronounce it, UPE, Cooks UPE, Cooperative. Okay, so the Brazilian prosecutor in, I think, probably 2022 issued a complaint against the largest supplier, the Cafe Practices Certified Cooperative. So it's a Cafe Practices Certified. It includes 2,000 farms. The labor prosecutor in Brazil 
cites abusive and unsafe working conditions. So whatever's happening with this whole cafe practices certification is not working. And if you've got a third party that is not truly independent, because we see a lot of third party investigators that companies will hire, but many times they're paid by the company to tell the company what it wants to hear. And you really need an outside group to come in and say, these are the practices that you have to correct. And in this case, we've got government agencies and investigative journalists. Okay. In the case of some of the other allegations that we found that have talked to workers and they find out what the conditions are. And they're in some of these cases are truly miserable working conditions that we wouldn't tolerate in this country. So, by the way, this cooperative in Brazil, the head of the president of this cooperative, whose farms supply coffee to Starbucks, has separately been cited for his family farm's callous theft of 30% of workers' wages. Nevertheless, Starbucks continues to source from Coaxupe, and the cooperative remains a cafe practices certified entity. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, what I'll probably do is uh, I'll ask your team for some of the references from this and we'll provide that for listeners as well so they can click through and see for themselves some of these allegations. This comes from our complaint, which is a public record, and we will get you a copy of the complaint that we filed. It's all very well substantiated. And lots of evidence and citations provided. Okay, yeah, we'll link that for our listeners. One of my final questions for you is, how can we expect, so the victims of these allegations are at a part of the chain here where a lawsuit could impact them in some way. Uh, how, how would you say that the NCL making this suit, how does it help victims in these kinds of situations? Right, and that is a big part of why we brought the suit, because NCL is committed to fighting forced labor and abusive labor practices around the world. So the way this lawsuit could address some of those abusive practices or many of the abusive practices is if the company said, we realize we've got to clean up our supply chain, we are going to enter into a very robust program where we may have to decertify many of the farms that we've been using because they engage in abusive practices. Hmm. And we're going to recommit ourselves or rededicate ourselves to ensuring that all people who work to grow Starbucks coffee are treated with dignity and fairness and not under abusive practices. Hmm. So if there is a remediation process put into place, you will find that workers are not working 17-hour days, and women are not being forced to trade sex for a job, and children are not allowed to be in the workplace. It is very doable, Jesse, and many companies, I wish the vast majority have, but there are many companies who've discovered or have committed themselves truly to a cleaned-up supply chain, and those companies have an ongoing process where there are people checking the factories or coming into the farms, talking to workers, having anonymous access, workers having anonymous access where they can make complaints. And lots of these abuses could be corrected. Most of them could be corrected if Starbucks decided to undertake a truly robust, independent process. That's one of the main goals that we have. And we hope that that can happen through this uh, lawsuit. Excellent. Well, thank you, Sally, for talking us through all of this and helping us get a grasp of what's going on and of these allegations and what the next steps are. Actually, what are the next steps? Like today, what are the next steps? Well, we just filed for discovery. 
which is a part of the legal process where we asked for more details about what was going on behind the scenes at the company, what kind of reports they were receiving. So that's a first step. And then we have a date for our first hearing in April in the D.C. Superior Court. We've gotten assigned to a judge. That will be the next step. And then, you know, we'll enter into discussions, uh, the plaintiff and defendant, in this case, defendant Starbucks, We'll figure out what next steps are. The litigation process is complicated, but, you know, you either go to trial, you decide whether you're going to have a jury, you decide whether you're going to have be in front of just a judge. Those kinds of things will be some of the decisions that we make next as we follow this case along. You know, in, in some cases, there are settlement discussions going and and an effort by the company, in this case, a Starbucks, to try to come to terms with the findings and say, these are the things that we want to do, but they're not there yet. So we'll see how things proceed. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. Now, our closing questions, what else are you working on? How can our listeners be a part of either the advocacy group and following what's going on, things like that? And then we'll have a closing question. Well, we do a lot of consumer protection issues. One of the things that we're working on at the Federal Trade Commission are some comments on, you know, those offers that you get where you open up an account and you begin to get a monthly charge and you sign up for something and then you don't realize you're getting charged month after month after month. And then when you try to get out of the contract, you're stuck for (laughs) X amount of time. If you don't tell them three months in advance, you're stuck for another year. We're trying to Uh. prevent companies from taking advantage of consumers. As easy as it is to sign up, we're saying it should be just as easy to sign out and not be obligated. So that's front and center. Jesse, we're also working on junk fees and working with the Federal Trade Commission on junk fees and to whenever you buy a ticket to an event, whether it's a concert or you're going to theater, you're going to dance, you're going to what have you, a movie, you, you know, you get stuck with these fees that oftentimes are as close to the actual cost of the event. Hmm. We've taken on Ticketmaster and Live Nation because they're a behemoth monopoly that dominates the ticketing industry. And we'd like to see the DOJ, they allowed their merger to take place in 2010. We told them it was a bad idea then. The market has proven that they have such control and they can charge exorbitant fees. So President Biden has a strong view on junk fees and has taken this on. And we're happy that the White House is has made this a cause of theirs. So we're working on reducing the burden of junk fees and they come in every industry seems to be lobbying on junk fees these days. You go to a hotel, you'll check out and they'll go, oh yeah, there's a $35 resort fee is required. You're like, what? What was that for? So things like that <laughs> that we're, we're working on. We're also trying to get labels on alcoholic beverages and nutritional labels. And right now you buy a beer or a bottle of vodka or a bottle of wine and there's no, you'd have no idea what's in them. You think, oh, it's just grapes and fermented grapes. Well, a lot of times there's a bunch of other ingredients, but since they don't have to be disclosed, mm. you don't know the calorie count. It's, you know, when we go to the grocery store, Jesse, you, we all probably look at, okay, let's see, let's see what the calories are. Let's see what the added sugars are. Let's see how much carbohydrate. Let's see how much gluten. You know, when people have allergies, they want to know these things that were their nuts use. None of that's available on any alcoholic beverage. So the consumer organizations have been working for over almost two decades to get 
robust labeling oh, the wow. kind we see on every other product. And I could go on and on. We're busy. There is no <laughs> end to consumer protection activities. But we're also working on the fight for $15 an hour wages for all workers in the economy. And that will be a you know fight to the finish since minimum wage is still stuck at $7.25 an hour. Wow. Yeah. Not not a short list, is it? Nope. And uh, not a list that's just a year long either. It's uh, you just mentioned two decades. It's, it's wow. decades. Yes. Amazing. Very many decades. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I've got many pioneers before me who've uh, taught me <laughs> how to go down this road, and for them, I'm very very thankful for what they've been able to do. But we got our work cut out for us. A story of legacy. I love it. Thank you, Sally, so much for joining us. I have a closing question here. You can choose which question you want to answer. Just You could answer all three, but you choose one. First one is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Second question is, what is the main takeaway you want our listeners to have from this very specific conversation? The third question is, what is the most important thing you have unlearned recently? That's This is the idea of you, you held a belief, but something changed your mind. Those are the three questions for you. I'm going to pick number two because I want listeners to appreciate their power in the marketplace and to exercise their power in the marketplace. And if they see things they don't like on products, pick up the phone. There's usually a 1-800 number. Speak your mind. Write to a company. They really do need to hear from consumers. And we are a power, powerful force, but we don't always use our voice and our ability to use the dollar as a force for consumer protection. So I would say, don't be afraid to raise your voice. And if you see something you don't like, let the company know, let the, you know, if if there's claims that are made that are not uh, substantiated, the attorney general's office deals with that. You know, every day, Jesse, people are getting swindled or ripped off or defrauded on products, whether they're, you know, buying a cruise or they're buying a mobile home or a car, whatever. Consumers have a lot of power, but we've got to, you got to know what you're getting into and you got to raise your voice if you feel like you've been ripped off. All right, Sally, thank you for that advice. That's wonderful stuff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. After the interview, I went back and listened to the conversation and realized I missed a pretty major point. I will capture it in this question. What if Starbucks argues their definition of ethically sourced is about process, not product? For example, promising to aim for a goal in contrast with their products being seen as ethical kind of all the time. I contacted Sally back with this query and she was generous to respond. I will read her quote now. Quote, it doesn't much matter whether we are talking process or product. If Starbucks say they are aspiring to be ethically sourced, why didn't they respond to numerous reports of labor abuses and pledge to address them? Starbucks instead said nothing and continued to claim ethical sourcing and use their phony cafe certifications process and didn't change their practices or stop making the same claims. End quote. And with that, we have reached the end of the episode. We will be including all resources in the show notes if you would like to click through them. This was not a light conversation. What are you thinking? Are we missing any nuance? You can reach out to us through our website at thecopypodcast.com or any of our active social media channels. I'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to Ryan Ingerson for his research and background on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing. 